Hi, I'm Mark Gewisser. Every month I write an in-depth essay for Business Day about new literature, art, theatre or culture. Then I host a public discussion about the issues my essay raises, to which I invite some of South Africa's most interesting thinkers. This podcast is a recording of the discussion. Welcome to the Monthly Review. <laughs> Welcome everybody to uh, the third Monthly Review. So I'm very happy tonight to have my three guests to the right here in a discussion about the meaning of the phrase enemy agent in South African politics, literature, and history. Right next to me is Derek Harnacom, who I'm sure most of you know by face. Um, something of a hero to many of us. Um, <laughs> for the stand he's taken. Um, but in, in, in him being a hero to us today, uh, we might forget where he comes from, which is that he was an activist in the African National Congress underground in the 1980s, sat in prison for two years for that. He was the first Minister of Land and Agriculture under Nelson Mandela uh, from 1996. And somebody I spoke to today who, who really knows this stuff says that the effect that he and his Director General Jeff Badlander had in those early years was really enduring and should not be forgotten. So that's Derek. Next to Derek is Jonathan Anser, a very well-known journalist who has written two interesting books about spies and espionage. One was a, something of a biography of Craig Williamson, who's Jonathan's nemesis. <laughs> and if you want to know more about that, it's in this book, which is his second book, Betrayal, The Secret Lives of Apartheid Spies. It should say The Secret Lives of Apartheid Era Spies, actually. That would be a more accurate title, because while this book contains extraordinary profiles of people like Craig Williamson or Olivia Forsyth, it also has a profile, for example, of Roland Williams, um, who was arrested with Derek Harnacom. Hunter. Sorry, excuse me. Roland Hunter, arrested with Derek Harnacom. Or Dieter Gerhardt, the, um, the naval commander who spied for the Russians. Um, on, the, on my far right is Feriel Hafidji. Not far right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe to the far right of me. Okay. <laughs> Since you've gone and worked at Media 24. Feriel <laughs> um, Hafidji is, is uh, I think, one of the most astute and humane commentators of South African politics. She currently writes for Fin24 and for Daily Maverick. And it's really wonderful to have all three of them here. I hope we have a lively and interesting conversation. Let's welcome them. Thank you. At Derek Harnacom is a known enemy agent. Uh, these were the tweet, this was the tweet issued by Jacob Zuma uh, that led to the lawsuit uh, that Derek undertook. Derek, where were you when you first heard those words from the tweet? How did you come to know about them? I follow Twitter. <laughs> sure I remember where I was sitting when I first thought, no. <coughs> but if you've come here to see what uh, an enemy agent uh, looks like, you've come to the wrong place. Because <laughs> there ain't one uh, up here, not one of the four of us. I as far as you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the, but I do, I just want to warn you that I have some enemy agents placed amongst you in the audience. Um, they come from Weber Wenzel. And uh, if you, when I'm talking, if you hear a loud cough um, <laughs> and you see I change my tack, then you know. The, um, no, I, I can't say I remember where I was and, and how I reacted upon seeing it, but I, I read it with a little bit of disbelief. And then subsequently, various people, good friends, one of whom you mentioned early on, said to me, but you know, this one you really have to take up. This one you can't leave unchallenged. And so of ways of resolving it within the African National Congress first? Would that have even been possible? Or did, did it need to be taken to a court of law? No, well, because I have uh, close comrades who, believe it or not, also happen to be lawyers. One of them is called Mark Phillips. He's not one of my agents. The others are <laughs> scattered. They, you know, he's, he's, he's come out now. Um, you know, we phoned people and we asked for advice. And they felt that 
we really needed to take it up. And I think the support from Weber Wenzel was just amazing. And uh, Carol Steinberg represented me in court and she was incredible, she was really good. Um, but that's where I got my advice from. I mean, we, it, 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 it couldn't, it wasn't a matter that I could take up in the ANC. We'd taken up our matters in the ANC repeatedly and ultimately at an NEC meeting, we got the desired outcome, an NEC decision that Jacob Zuma had to step down as president of the Republic. Um, but, you know, to take to the ANC the consideration as to whether I should take legal action against this defamatory statement, I don't think that would have been useful. It would have, it doesn't mean that it, I didn't have discussions individually with some of my close comrades in the ANC. Uh, many of whom would be well known to you. I did. I'm, I'm not speaking specifically about going to the ANC okay. about legal action. I'm, I'm thinking about going to the ANC to resolve this problem. Because one of the things that came up in the, in the really amazing judgment by Judge Diapele was a, a kind, she, her judgment was very, um, was very much in your favor and, and, and really excoriated Jacob Zuma. <coughs> Um, but she expressed some kind of annoyance at being called on to adjudicate on ANC matters. And she, she used um, a definition of lawfare, which has been put into the public domain by, by Dennis Davis and Michelle LaRue, about, uh, around political battles being fought um, legally rather than politically. And, and a, a particular position that Davis and LaRue have, that this could actually have negative effects on jurisprudence down the line. So, so she was in a way saying, you've come to me, I'll do my job, and my job is to find out that, is to find that this is defamatory, but, but it's a pain in the neck because you guys should be solving your own problems and not bringing them here, is how I read it. Um, I don't know if you read it that way and what you think of that. I saw a bit of that in it, um, but you know, there are some matters that you simply cannot resolve politically, and she was also clear about that. Mm. And there, there comes a moment where the courts have to be brought into it. Mm. And, uh, you know, she's very clear about the defamatory nature of the statement. Absolutely. Completely unambiguous about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think she was also very clear, and she said it in her judgment, that um, it was ultimately the NEC who took the decision to depose or to ask uh, Jacob Zuma to step down. Mm. And so I think she was clear in her mind that the ability of the organization of the party to get Jacob Zuma to do what we asked him to do initially the, through the lawyers mm. and that is to apologize and to retract the statement uh, was highly unlikely because we had asked him and he simply did not Said respond no. yeah. and so we were forced to get a court order. Mm. What, what were you looking for? What, what in your mind did you want to be the outcome okay. of a successful court action against Jacob Zuma? Okay, I'm we've got Ferial here, by the way. I mean, this is, we're, you know, we're going to get to <laughs> what happened. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you have to understand the, and I think most of the audience would understand the uh, the nature of a, of an accusation of that kind, and why it's viewed as extremely serious. Jonathan would know it better than anyone else, but the, um, um, you know, I, th I think what followed was a, 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 you know, a bunch of insults and hurling and really really seriously insulting comments. Furiel has had more than her fair share of that. The, um, what did we have in mind? Well, it, the context of it was also the Zondo Commission. In fact, he referred to the Zondo Commission in his tweet. Mm. And where in the Zondo Commission, he had uh, di directly called two people whom I know very well, Sipiwe Nyanda and uh, Mwako Ramatlodi, apartheid spies. Mm. Then he claims, well, he didn't actually call me an apartheid spy, he called me a known enemy agent, and that's quite different. Well, the judge found that it's not that different. But um, what, you, what you were seeing at that stage was a man that was resorting to the lowest possible tactics. A man that could, and not just a man, the former president of the country and the head of intelligence in the ANC. Supposedly, with all of this knowledge about people, he knows about you, he knows about you, and next time it will be you. At some point, he has to be stopped. So we felt this man has to be stopped. And that's, that's really what informed the decision. It wasn't an easy decision to take. Costs mm. a bit of money, uh, uh, Mark. Uh, mm. It's not an inexpensive thing to do, uh, but, it, but it's a necessary, it was a necessary thing to do. 
not so much for clearing my name, but to stop him from making these absolutely irresponsible and reckless statements about people that can do a lot of damage. It seems like, um, the, and this is a question for all of you, the, 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 the sort of whispering campaigns about people being Impimpi, is Impimpi, or, or enemy agents, or farayas, or Ascaris, it has become very much part of South African political life. Um, the, 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 this discourse exists in many places, particularly in many places where, where there has been uh, some kind of complex history involving state surveillance, like Russia. But it has a very particular character in South Africa, and I'm interested in why. So, so, so you said, Derek, resorting to the lowest. Yes. And in a way, calling somebody an enemy agent in, in the South African context, particularly somebody like you, is one of the lowest things you can do. Feral, I wonder if you have some ideas about, about how and why mm. this particular form of assault has, has, has grown fangs in sure. South Africa and whether an action such as Derek's can have an impact. Sure. So it's been absolutely weaponized. Uh, today, uh, Dario and his team are also in court, I think this week, with Anton Harbour and Tandeka Kubule, who've been called Stratcom. And I suppose the ubiquitous quality of social media makes those kind of insults and tagging uh, much, it, it spreads like wildfire. So because of our history, um, because of our history of struggle, being, la being so labeled was absolutely the kiss of death. And I think it's that history that people are drawing on to still, and I specifically want to speak about what happens to journalists. Um, and those two, I think, are also brave to take it to court, uh, to take the EFF to court for using the Stratcom label in a similar way. But generally, you'll find that if you're a journalist writing something which the fight back faction um, of the ANC and its allied partners in the EFF and other formations, that's the first thing that will be, um, <clears throat> that will be thrown at you. But I suppose what I w wanted to do, if I may, for a few minutes, is just look at while that phrase has been weaponized and while intelligence has become spy versus spy or spycraft, what's happening in our other world? So in the week where there was looting and violence ripping across the city, um, I went to town and parked under the courts and then went out onto Small Street Mall where the Ethiopian traders had all shut up shop. Um, found a guy called Tades who I'd seen um, on TV and said to him, what's going on here? You know, why are all the shops closed? And he told me that they had known that the violence was going to start. They had given the information to the state security agency and to criminal intelligence. Nothing had been done about it. And we saw the end result in the Sunday Times and City Press last week where there's great recrimination between state security and Minister Ayanda, Ayanda Dlodlo. Similar thing, I think, if you look at our crime statistics, we live with an increasingly bloody line where crime is just getting worse, and I think all of us will understand that because criminal intelligence has been so disemboweled by looting and by capture and by uh, former President Jacob Zuma's era putting in place people like Richard Mbluli. And it was, ironically, in this very building where former President Zuma made those uh, statements about you to an audience that was at once shocked but also clapping for him when he said it, as in, we know, um, we know. So I think what's happened is what you have is a failure of, in, of intelligence and a power of labeling people as spies. Um, so when, when you speak about the two sides of it, on the one yes. side, there's a weaponization of the intelligence apparatus, which has, has been around since, well, certainly since the advent of democracy, sure. browse mole reports, sure. um, accusations about the rogue, Ulka, unit, that the rogue unit, the SARS rogue unit. That, so that's how we've kind of come to think of intelligence yes. um, as playing that sort of political role. But actually what intelligence should be doing is stopping the kind of xenophobic yes. violence and I think crime they're completely unable to do that to the detriment of its wider public and all we have is this performance of spy versus spy, factionism, Derek's an enemy agent um, and, and its uses in a political way rather than in a way that keeps its people safe which is the what good intelligence should be. I know? suggest in, in, in my monthly review piece, well I don't suggest, Jacob Blamini who wrote a book called Ascari yeah 
suggests that one of the reasons for this is that because of the negotiated settlement, we weren't able to have a process of lustration, such as happened in many of the countries of the former Soviet bloc, where, where you basically um, smoked out all the agents and revealed them. Sure. And so that what's happened ever since uh, has been a, 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 an inability to depoliticize the intelligence apparatus. Now, Derek, I know uh, you, you haven't worked as, as a politician and as a minister specifically in the intelligence world, but you know the world of the African National Congress very well. What's your understanding of, of why it's possible 25 years after freedom for it still to be such a low blow to call somebody an enemy agent. Why does this still have such purchase within the movement and, with, and among our people? Well, I mean, 25 years is, is, is a long time, but the, um, the wound of apartheid and the scars of apartheid are still with us and very much with us. And for, for many people, you know, I am, amongst other things, the chairperson of the Kathrada Foundation, mm. and uh, we, we exist to uh, carry forward the legacy of Ahmed Kathrada and to so what we fought for we are still fighting for and um, we, of course there's a whole new generation that we're trying to develop and and so that they understand what the anti-apartheid struggle was about and that they understand what what the freedoms were that we were fighting for and the sacrifices pe people made to get these freedoms but if it's all trashed then the, a kind of a noble history you, you might say, well, you know, uh, Nelson Mandela presided out over rubbish. You know, it stood for nothing. People who were in the liberation struggle meant nothing. And by the way, somebody called Jacob Zuma can decide, you know, who were genuine uh, anti-apartheid activists and who weren't. So mm. it's, it touches a raw wound. Maybe in a hundred years from now, it won't be anymore, but it still is. Mm. But it touches a, war, a raw wound precisely because uh, we we were never told who the apartheid spies were, perhaps because we couldn't be, um, because of the negotiated settlement. And there's, there has long been this sort of rumor of a list that was given to Nelson Mandela. And in fact, one of the books I review is Barry Gilder's book, The List, uh, w which has as its as a fictional um, uh, pretext that there is such a list. And, and in that context, the sort of whispering that you're talking about, um, can have real political impact, which is why you say you want to stop it by calling on people when they do that kind of whispering or even talking aloud the way, the way Zuma did. Um, is, is it enough to stop Jacob Zuma with a lawsuit? Is it, is it enough to do that to stop the kind of in, infecting, corrosive whispering around who's an enemy agent or not? Or does it, does it take more, need more action as well? I think time will tell whether it stops um, uh, the person who made the accusation or, and other people, but I think it, it was a major step towards make, making people reflect because it was just too easy for him to do. Mm. He's been doing it for some time. He's saying, I know things about people that people don't know about. Mm. And, you know, I'll, I'll get my moment when I'll reveal all of these things. He's been holding it as a threat. Well, we'd, we'd like him to come up with any kind of evidence in the, in the case of those three names that he's mentioned so far. Mm. I think in some ways we, we, you know, we had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We have a Zondo Commission. We want the truth to come out. But, you know, it doesn't mean that you, well, then it must be truth that comes out from the first instance. And it doesn't mean that one can just make statements about any willy-nilly statements about anybody but you believe that you know something about. Um, I was not in the in intelligence uh, um, agency of the state nor of the ANC, but by its very nature, as Jonathan will know, any, any ANC operative, part of your work is gathering intelligence of some kind or other. As it happens in our relationship with Roland Hunter, you know, central to our imprisonment was a process of intelligence gathering. But we weren't, you know, sort of a, um, primarily intelligence gatherers. But we also learned something is, or what I've learned subsequently, because in the, in the process, you hear stories. One of your chapters is about Joy Herndon. Well, of yeah. course, people, given that time in that era, um, it was incumbent upon activists, if there was sufficient information, to alert other activists, because the price that was paid, and in fact, some people died as a result of Joy Herndon's information. 
so you know it's very very sensitive it doesn't mean that you're going to now try to unearth every single person who may have played some role in giving some information to the state at that time it won't serve any purpose but labeling people today uh, serves the purpose of those people who want to destroy and do and and want to detract from their the own challenges that they have mm. and I think I can only see this as as one of his ways of detracting from the very serious charges he faces against him diversionary yeah. tactic Jonathan I'm interested in your take on specifically on on, on, on Derek's case uh, given the work that you've done trying to understand the history of espionage in South Africa Yes, so um, famously, uh, Fink Haysom, who was a student activist at the time in the 1970s, he turned to his, he advised these activists, the comrades, to confide your political convictions to your pillow and only in the dark. Because spies were operating um, during apartheid. It was a fact of life and there was, it was a, there was serious paranoia. Was Fink Haysom on that SRC? There he was an SRC yes. at Wits in 1972 in ni that yes. Craig, Craig Williamson was on where four out of 16 wow. of, this, of, of, of the SRC were spies. He wasn't. Yeah. Glenn Moss was Glenn the Moss SRC was president. Yeah. But four of them on that SRC was, were spies. They, were also, they didn't realize that they were all spies and they were spying on each other. <laughs> but it just shows you the extent of the state's penetration. There was the Bureau of State Security. There was... Uh, um, the special branch, there was the military intelligence, there was counterintelligence. There were thousands of informers and, and spies everywhere and, and people were paranoid um, with good reason. You couldn't prove if somebody was a spy but and so people made allegations then and, some, and with serious consequences. Um, with, with, with Roland Hunter's case and, and Derek's case which are, are linked very closely Roland um, had gone to uh, was recruited into the army he, like all white men of, of, of the, at the time he was a reluctant conscript it was 1982 um, he didn't want to go into the arm, army he had been at, at, at Witz um, he had participated in, in anti-apartheid protests and he found himself uh, doing basic training and he found himself um, uh, after basics being sent to military intelligence and he thought I'm here I don't want to be here I want to do something positive and uh, while he was in at military intelligence he discovered he, he had even though he wasn't trained and even though he didn't have uh, um, a spy's temperament he had the spy's best asset which was access and he, he discovered that, uh, that he had been sent to the Directorate of, of Special Tasks and he did some intelligence work and he discovered that here he was uh, 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 sitting on, a, on very useful information that the South African Defense Force was destabilizing the frontline states. And he felt that this was his duty to get this information out. And at that time, he didn't necessarily want to give it to the ANC, he just wanted to expose it. And Fortuitously, through Rodin's sister, he got connected to the Honeycombs, Trish and Derek Honeycomb, who had a farm in the Michalisburg, where they were recruiting white people to the ANC, as, as far as I understand. And um, making them clean out pigsties. Pig yes, yeah. exactly. Making them work, yeah. <laughs> Mainly that. <laughs> and and um, he, 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 uh, Roland told Derek and Trish what, what the, about the information that he had uncovered. And they decided that they now had a spy in the apartheid machine, in, in the very center of, of the apartheid beast. And um, it, it, Roland was, I think, one of the unsung heroes of the South African struggle. Um, 100%. Yeah. Who, 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 he was absolutely courageous. He didn't, all the spies that I, I talk about in the book, they kind of had this sort of ego about them. They had motives. But he was somebody who really, his motive was to get this information out because he felt that it was an important thing to do. So, so what happened there is, is that he was um, debriefed, this is according to Jonathan's account, debriefed by two ANC operatives known as John and Jeffrey in Botswana. And shortly thereafter, he was arrested 
And um, so about a year afterwards, a year afterwards, yeah. he was arrested. And at the same time, or shortly, there, shortly after that, Derek and Trish were arrested too. And all three of them um, were given jail sentences between, uh, between two and five years. Now, um, I was joking about cleaning out the pigsty because that's what he did when he came to visit you. But you make the point in your, in your portrait of Roland that he was very ill-equipped to be a spy and that nobody trained him. But he was and pretty good. It, he pretty was good, good but, but he was, there was, there's an intelligence operative who told you, Jonathan, that he was sold out by the ANC because his intelligence was used, uh, given to Frelimo. It was about Renamo's actions in Mozambique. And that intelligence led to the Encomati Accord, which is a, which is a, a great thing. But, but the Mozambicans probably said to the South Africans, we know about this. We know, we know about this, we, we have this information, and that's how Roland was identified. And there's a very strong sense in your um, profile of Roland, and, and I'm going here for a reason. There's a very strong sense that he, he, he was a brave man, but who didn't, he was kind of a babe in the wood. And because he was a babe in the wood and there was nobody to, um, to look after him properly, because you were just doing what you knew how to do too. Mm. Um, it had some pretty good consequences for this country, the Nkamati Accord, but it had some pretty lousy consequences for you and Trish and, and Roland. And, and, and it, to me, there's something of a, a lesson there in, in the way people are used by the intelligence system and intelligence structure. Mm. Or I thought that's what you were trying to say. Yes, I, I, I do think that the, the, that the comrades, John and Jeff, who inadvertently sold him out, I think they were also amateurs. Um, I think they didn't also know what they were really doing. Um, and I, I, you know, I, in my mind, when I was interviewing uh, Roland, I'd also interviewed, you know, doing a lot of research on Dieter Gerhardt. And Dieter was this very sophisticated Russian agent who was sending out um, uh, information using the like, top-notch James Bond gadgets, satellite bursts going, you know, passing ships and micro dots in forms and code names and, and Roland really was just trying to get this information out as best as he could. And in, in that whole spy espionage uh, protocol, you're not supposed to have anything to do with the people that recruit you. And it was Derek and Trish that had recruited uh, uh, Roland. And perhaps that was a, a failing because of the amateur nature of it, that they still stayed in contact. Um, and maybe that would have not led to, to Derek and Trisha's arrest at that, at that point. But it, it, it just showed that, 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 that I think it just reinforces Roland's courage, that he didn't know what he was doing, but he was prepared to take these risks. Could, could I add something? Yeah, yeah, to please. Um, something that isn't in your chapter, and I think it's a really well-written chapter. Catherine is here, by the way, the, uh, oh, no. uh, back there somewhere, who introduced Brought Roland to us. Um, oh. And uh, she should have gone to jail as well, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> she, somehow she escaped. She, she served some months in detention, I should say. But in any event, um, where I, th I think s a couple of things missing in the chapter. One is, you know, there's this, uh, it's, it's quite possible that the people in Botswana didn't really know how to deal with it. It was explosive information. It was the whereabouts of the training camps, the arms lifts going to Mozambique. It was really big stuff. They didn't really know what to do. It went to our story that we only heard much later. It went to directly to Oliver Tambo in Lusaka. Um, Oliver Tambo raised it directly with Samora Michelle. Samora Michelle used the information that much, you know, as a kind of a bargaining chip, and they knew about the whereabouts of the camps. And that's, that's where it couldn't, it was no longer, well, we know that you're giving support to Rabo. We know more than that. We know exactly where your camps are. The critical thing, and I don't think, I think some other security guy said, um, oh, there was a, um, an informer and there was a leak there. We don't believe that that was what, was yes. hap what happened. What happened was those camps were shifted overnight. They were moved to a secret destination which very few people knew about. Roland was one of the people. Roland transmitted that information once again. His communication line with Botswana kind of dropped, or there were some difficulties, and so we came into the picture. He had no one else to talk to. 
but you're quite right. There should have been a big distance. But in any event, once the, the Mozambicans once again said, but we know where your new camps are, they then knew that it was only a handful of people that would have had that kind of information so quickly. And so they narrowed it down. It sort of came out of your book. Last, last one, just an interesting story Perfect. anyway. What, what got us off, largely, apart from the discussion with Lang David de Villiers, is Roland, who was quite meticulous, I should say. Um, and so when they were trying to trap him, um, he was aware of it. I mean, he wasn't trained in counter-surveillance or anything, anything of that nature. But amongst other things, he hid a trunk of documents on our farm, which they found. Um, the, and, and it was those documents, because the prosecution listed every single document, but Roland knew what some of those documents contained. And those documents contained, amongst other things, not just the support, the destabilization exercise against Mozambique, but also the suit to Angola, um, Zimbabwe. And not even in, a, in a, an in-camera trial were they prepared to make that information available. Our prosecution said, uh, sorry, our defense said, but you know, he felt that he had a moral obligation and this will tell you why he had a moral obligation. They weren't prepared to make it available. So that's how you, because initially you were going to yeah. be charged with high treason. We were charged with high treason. And, that and it was withdrawn because they didn't want those documents in the public. Can I tell you another grand irony? <laughs> and that is the judge. The judge was somebody called Kerr Lewis. A famous hanging judge. The hanging judge. Yeah. So we were faced with, you know, Roland could have got the death sentence. I don't think we would have got it, but he could have got the death sentence. But one thing about Judge Kerr Lewis, he was not prepared to go into any kind of plea bargain, and the prosecutors knew that. So the only way they could you know, settle this matter um, with least fuss, because our defense lawyers had, amongst other things, said they were going to subpoena Pukbota, Magnus Malan, and this was going to be a big thing. So they, all they could do was change the charges altogether, because a plea bargain, us settling for a 10-year sentence or a 15-year sentence, wasn't going to wash with Kerr Lewis. Yeah. So they had to charge us with these lesser offenses. That's, that's our story. Derek, it's amazing. Uh, but uh, uh, Catherine, <laughs> Catherine, you're still writing a book. I hope I haven't preempted your book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing uh, listening to you talk so animatedly about what what, what must have been a very difficult part of your history. Um, and, and you spoke about that you're, you're wanting to take action against Jacob Zuma to stop the, this, these kinds of corrosive whispering campaigns or shouting campaigns. But, but it's clear as you tell your history that there's something personal here as well because of the way you were a soldier in the struggle. To be called an, a known enemy agent when you've walked the path you've walked, sure. is, is, must have been, must have hurt. And there must be some kind of remedy you want besides stopping Jacob Zimmer from saying this about others, or seek. And I wonder if you could just talk, talk through that a little bit. Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, that's our sort of entire lives. You know, Trish and I got to know each other. And Trish, I was 24 years old, she was 21. Our, our whole lives have been about struggle and, and uh, you know, we, you, you, it, it would effectively mean if that becomes the narrative, that means, you know, the things that you um, hold most dearly and cherish, cherish most greatly about, you know, what have I done in my life? We all want to know that we've done something useful. Well, what we've done in our lives was fight apartheid. Mm. And so if that's questioned, it's a very serious question. Um, but hurt, you use the word hurt. To be honest, um, it evoked anger, but you know, f take it from whence it comes. If uh, Oliver Tombo had said that to us, it would have had, it would have caused very serious hurt. <laughs> take it from whence it comes. For those listening to the podcast, there were some hand gestures there <laughs> to suggest the diminished or, or small stature. May, yes, may please. I ask something? So, um, I suppose. It's a glorious history, and I'm glad that there's um, an accounting with President Jacob, former President Jacob Zuma, because the way he did it downstairs here was in a very opportunistic uh, fashion. He was faced with a judge who had a laser-like focus on him, asking him really tough questions, and he just sidetracked into conspiracy theory. But I want to just for a moment think about the messiness of ANC intelligence. 
and how that lives with us and colors our country today. That was my point of, of, yes. of, of, of so, so teasing Moshe out the story. Of wants to plant that Bulelani Nuka was Agent RS-452. And that explodes mm. and I think allows the coming of the kleptocratic decade. But at the moment we sit with another story, and this is just one that's still in the making by many journalists, is, is our current public protector, who this week celebrated, you know, on Twitter at least, three years in office. And that's been the center point of the fight back campaign. Um, the, our public protector was a spy, if we remember. Um, and if you trace back where her appointment came from, it was in the office of the presidency of um, Jacob Zuma. And if you look this week at the stories in the Daily Maverick and News 24, um, he's, his own group, the SOU, the Special Ops Unit, is still being paid by the State Security Agency and I think at the hub of engineering this fight back that seems to be in abeyance at the moment, but is a really, really dangerous one. Can you say a little bit more, Farrell, about how you see this as being a consequence of, of the messiness of the African National Congress's Because I don't think operations. they've ever been properly debriefed and demobilized. And every so often, whenever there's a faction fight in the ANC, you see the contesting intelligence structures causing mayhem, frankly, and preventing the development of our, our democracy and, and I think um, I don't only say it here and he's going on a podcast I know, but I do think our new public protector may be a, an example of that eh? and can you say a little bit more about how you why you said why you feel that the allegations uh, about Bulelani Nguka w was the, the heralded the kleptocrat kleptocratic decade um, because remember that Bulelani Nguka and Billy Downer and Billy Hofmeyer, they had a pretty good case to, to charge Jacob Zuma back then. He's only going to come to get to court in February 2020. And that was stopped both because the ANC was trying to protect itself, but it was also stopped because that story was very successfully planted and it harmed Bulelani Nuka substantially, mm -hmm. even though we found out later he was not at all that enemy agent. Um, the enemy agent was the Vanessa Perrette. campaign, and, yes. Yeah. It didn't have um, social media to make it viral, but it was a very dangerous one. And I think it was at mm. least one of the reasons damaging. he stepped down, a yeah. very damaging yeah. one. And yeah. the people who, who peddled those claims, yes. there were no consequences for them. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe one of the people we've discussed tonight, a uh, central to our discussion, was part of peddling that claim. Very much part of peddling that claim. Anyway. Yeah. Um, one of the things that um, Judge Diapole said in her ruling uh, was that um, the court, in 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 her embodied in her, can resolve the dispute, but it will take much more to resolve the conflict. Um, and she was speaking specifically about the conflict between. Um, two factions in the African National Congress. Perhaps. You don't think so? No, she was. Well, what, do you, what do you think she meant I, when she I, said no, well, I mean How did you hear it's, it? It's clear that there, that, that there are, uh, there's contestation, if you like. There was contestation, as there is now in, in another political party called the DA. Fierce contestation <laughs> before there, you know. But in any event, there was contestation leading to the conference. But it's, uh, it's more than contestation. You know, when serious damage is being done to the country, you know, when, when your head of state is accused of being captured and not billions, now the current president of the country <coughs> talks about it being more than half a trillion rand of money that our country lost as a result of state capture and corruption. Um, and then there are members in that organization who seem to want to defend it or seem to want to not recognize it and there are others who want it to be dealt with and dealt with firmly. Of, clear, of course, there's, there's some conflict, necessary conflict. Mm. Um, if, if a judgment is going to resolve the dispute but not the conflict, Farrell, do you have some thoughts about what it would take That's to resolve the conflict? Um, Sidney Mufamadi did a wonderful high-level panel report on what besets our intelligence um, agencies. 
I haven't seen any attention being paid to how that's going to be implemented. And if the weekend media, which suggested a massive fight between Ayanda Lordlo and um, Advocate Morfe, um, then that work hasn't been done. And that is the work of creating civilian oversight, of making sure that your Inspector General of Intelligence Office works really well. It doesn't at the moment. If you look at that last report and the way it's being used in our contemporary debate, I think we, as per usual in our country, we diagnose problems so well, and that high-level panel report does that. But fixing it is a whole other story. That, that, that's about fixing the problem of intelligence. Yes. How about resolving the conflict to, pre to, to prevent a situation where, where, where such whispering is used against people in a factional battle? I guess there's a view in the ANC that it has to have its own TRC um, and name those people so that uh, former President Zuma can't sit downstairs and he's due here in November again and come up with a mythical list because nobody's actually brought out the true list. Jonathan, do you have any thoughts? How to resolve? Uh, I do think that the, the Truth Commission was a missed opportunity, and I think those spies from both sides have just disappeared. And I think uh, have, having a Truth Commission or... You know, when I was doing the, the, the book on Craig Williamson, I interviewed Robert McBride because he had kind of interrogated Williamson in, 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 in after 1994. And Williamson had given him three boxes of intelligence, which would have pointed to people who were spies within the ANC. And nothing came of that. So I'm not sure there's an appetite within the ANC to, to find the people who were working for the apartheid government. There's a very strong argument that one shouldn't look for them. I think there is. Is that a valid argument, Derek? Yeah. It is a valid argument because the, I mean, and you somehow um, say that in your book. There were people, and especially you choose to use white um, spies, informers, etc. And the circumstance is very different from the majority of black um, spies, informers, um, who were under intense pressure, who were possibly tortured in detention themselves, and to reveal every one of them who found themselves under circumstances which maybe none of us here in this room would have been able to resist. To expose them of as spies today, yeah. don't think it would have any value. But to, to expose the people that have labeled other people as spies mm. and done serious damage and unjustifiably, maybe that's a different matter. Mm. Mm. You, you say as much in your book, Jonathan, you, you mentioned in your preface that one of the reasons why you chose not to profile uh, black apartheid agents was precisely for that reason because many of them were turned under extreme duress yes yeah I, I wanted to speak to people who had made choices and I think under those mm -hmm. circumstances it's not a choice um, also I didn't want to accuse people of being spies so the people that I I, I profiled had all been exposed oh. in one way or the other yeah okay. I think we're gonna open this to the audience for a few minutes um, there's a roving mic, Aspasia, you have it. Um, please keep your questions brief, and, uh, or your comments brief. Uh, we have 10 or 15 minutes. And remember when speaking, this is to be podcast, so it, it will be heard by others later. So give your name, in other okay. words. <laughs> no need to give your name if you don't want to. This question is for Derek. Uh, was there any consideration of going for joint litigation with you, Nwaka Ramaklori, and Sipiwa uh, Nyanda, because the allegations were made around the same time. That's one question. The second thing is, in Mandla Langa's book, he always talked about this chest, this thing that was being brought, which was a fictional work. And I believe that there's some uh, move to try and open these archives and open it and what you're saying is that there's no point in doing it to open to open it up let us know all the spies so i just wanted to know what your views on that no i think on the second part of your question i think we sort of answered that already 
but on the first part, yeah, we we did consider joint action, but our legal team advised that it it was not possible because of the kind of application, the urgent application that I had submitted. Mwako uh, Ramaklodi apparently would like to um, have the opportunity to cross-examine Jacob Zuma in, in front of the Zondo Commission. Um, General Nyanda has taken his own action, so you know none of us is sitting down and just accepting it. Uh, to Minister Hanekom, what took you so long to remove Jacob Zuma uh, as the president of the country? <laughs> <laughs> Directed at Furio. No, no, no. <laughs> Minister Hanukkah. <laughs> well, it didn't take the... the uh, where, where is the questioner? Uh, I've got to see you eye to eye, you know. <laughs> it didn't take the um, NEC very long. This newly elected NEC, despite all of whatever differences there might be in the NEC, it was very soon after uh, the Nazarek conference. In fact, the the first NEC meeting took that decision. Um, the last NEC, uh, there were two attempts, um, and they were quite serious attempts, but they did not succeed. And uh, the, so it's not that, you know, what happened subsequently is that there was some discussion about uh, whether one should use the parliamentary avenue and to support the vote of no confidence. But in fact, we had tried very hard at the NEC uh, with him sitting right there in front on the bench. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, the NEC did not succeed at that time in getting majority support for the call for him to step down. I should say that the call for him to step down at the very first NEC meeting was done by various people. I happen to have been the first person to put that call to him. Uh, it was done very respectfully. And the request was, let's do what's in the best interest of the ANC put the organization first, step down as president of the country because serious damage is being done to the country and damage being done to the ANC as well. Derek, I, I imagine that from that moment on, your relationship with him went into a tailspin. <laughs> um, but before that, I mean, you served, you served in his cabinet. Yeah, yeah. What was your relationship like and how did it work and what, what were the qualities you saw and... What problems did you see from the very beginning? Well, you know, let me just say from, you know, immediately, it's, it's not a personal matter. We just try to depersonalize these things. Um, former President Zuma is a very affable person. So, you know, and in, uh, it, it was one person called Helen Ziller who said that publicly after the first meeting of when she was Premier. And she came to an, uh, an, a of ministers and premiers and, um, and she said, you know, I can't help liking this man. And of course, later on at some other party, they were dancing together. Um, they, you know, they dance, both of them. The, um, <laughs> the, so, so, you know, the relationship was fine. And, and, you know, there wasn't, even when it came to the point of that first call for him to step down, it was, I don't think by then we even knew the extent of the damage being done. Um, but but we were starting to get a sense. The emails had come out, uh, so um, it it wasn't. It's it's not that there was a bad relationship. I don't even think after that first call that the relationship immediately soured. I think I think it was after the second call that um, you know he sort of um, lost it a bit mm. and. Um, the, but at the same time, I mean, we, we, I try very hard not, not you know, these things are, are matters that have to be attended to politically, sometimes through the courts. But that doesn't mean you can't be civil to we, towards each other, you know. There were, there were some, very few people who resigned because of very strong opposition to Thabo Mbeki's policies, and I'm thinking of Prague's governor. Now, she wasn't, uh, she wasn't in Mbeki's yeah. cabinet but she made a political decision to leave. Indeed. Did you um, consider that? No, never. Um, it, it could have been a consideration, but you know, we, we, we felt, and I felt then, and I still feel, that given the position that we occupy as the African National Congress, as the governing party, that we have to clean up our act. 
And so you can walk away from it and you make a statement and you might feel good about it, but it's not going to address the problem. As far as I'm concerned, the, the, the challenge in front of us, real problems, and we have to find the most effective vehicles to address those problems. Okay. More questions? Yeah. Um, is this working? Yes. I'm Pat Sidley, and there's an unsung hero who I don't think many people remember. Um, Ferial, you probably know him because he's a journalist um, and he lives in abject poverty and is a sub. And he doesn't keep his jobs for very long at the moment. But the guy's name is Jimmy Beaumont. Oh. And Jimmy Beaumont was in Namibia. He was a recruit in the army, not a recruit, he was a conscript. Conscript, thank you, in the army. And uh, he was gay, but it didn't mean he'd had a rough time in the army. He said he'd had a fabulous time. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, was, he was sent to Namibia. And among other things, and I presume in between whatever he was doing that made it fabulous, he was a crack shot. Um, and he became eventually the private secretary of one of the generals. And in his job, he managed to collect a dossier of what seems to have been not very dissimilar um, movements of troops and stuff in Namibia. Um, and he then passed that to um, a colleague of his uh, in the outside world. And unfortunately, that led to the whole thing unraveling. And Jimmy went to jail for it for quite a while. But he's, he doesn't tell the story very often. So almost nobody knows it. And I think it's terrible because he, he really did do the same kind of thing that you did. Thanks for that, Pat. I'm not sure if there's any no. need to I respond to that. I don't know the story, but I'm intrigued yeah. by it, yeah. So first a shout out to Derek and so many other, well, not, not that many. But to Derek and other comrades who've been so so incredibly courageous in taking on what they've taken on and how much better position that we are in as South Africans with all the problems that we face than we might have been. Secondly, a shout out to Ronnie Casserolles, who I think um, preluded, there was a prelude to all of this, which was Ronnie's case against Kebi Makotswe, uh, yeah. which I think you know, was an important precedent in taking this kind of uh, struggle forward. And then thirdly, to say that the ANC's history, you know, there's been a lot of this business of calling people spies uh, in the ANC's history, partly because of the circumstances the ANC faced. But there were also tragic um, cases where really good comrades were called spies yeah. within the ANC. And so, like, you know, a shout out to constitutional democracy that today we can go to the court and clarify these matters. In those days, people couldn't. And for some people, that was you know, had really tragic consequences. And then finally to say, we South Africans, you know, we're very uh, big on everything that affects, our, you know, we, we think we're a special case, but just think about Trump. He's doing exactly the same thing. And we are living in an age where, you know, false news and these kinds of false accusations travel fast. So we shouldn't feel that these aren't weapons that others are using. Uh, but the fact that we can defend ourselves in the manner that Derek has is really a great thing. That's that's Lyle Bethlehem, by the way. She was, you know, when the ANC was unbanned, she was in the Yeovil branch of the ANC, and she was in the choir of the Yeovil <laughs> branch. And that uh, friend of hers next to was also in the choir. <laughs> they have other assets too. They kind of love each other. <laughs> that's where they met. There's a there was a question in front. Who knew? <laughs> Um, yes, my name is Peter. I, I have a two-part question. The first part is for the former minister specifically. When we go back to the early 2000s with scandals such as Project Avani, um, what was the ANC's mindset then? I mean, there's now talk about reforming the intelligence services, but that scandal, I mean, if I read the Inspector General's report from then, it still boggles the mind as to what the the juiciness almost of the fabricated allegations were. What was the ANC's mindset in terms of, well, essentially tackling the intelligence services then? And then just secondly, actually to anyone with regards to um, the new administration saying that it's considering a declassification committee, you already mentioned that you don't think naming and shaming every agent would be 
helpful in any sense, but do you think that a declassification committee could actually go a long way in terms of demystifying all of these claims, especially if we know that, for example, the name Derekanakum does not feature on any uh, apartheid government list, then the former president can't just make reckless accusations as he did. Thank you. I'm going to take two more questions and then give everybody a chance to respond to all the questions together. So over here, and then there's one question back there, Aspasia, and then we're going to end it. Thank you. Um, so my question is to Derek. Um, Comrade Derek, it was, I think it's well and good that you, know, you have taken up this case, you have won the defamation suit, um, but I don't believe that Jacob Zuma feels in any way you know, that his wings have been clipped. I, I, I don't, just from observing how things happen on, on social media. So having said that, there's still very much those words, the words enemy agent, or um, he's just a spy, or counter-revolutionary, those words are still very much a part of the ANC lexicon. So perhaps it's a part of a certain faction of the ANC, but it's still there. And what I don't see is the ANC actually dealing with it as an organization, as a party. So it's going to continue to happen if people use it with impunity, without feeling that there will be other consequences. So if you look at Andile, if you read Andile Lungisa's tweets the past week, a long thing about Anton Harper. So the, 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 you know, these things are going to continue. So my question is, what is the ANC doing about ridding its own lexicon of these words? And there was one hand at the back. Hi, hello. Um, on the question of lustration um, and the fact that we didn't have something like, like this in South Africa, and I, I hear what Derek is saying, that it's of no benefit now, really, to bring out all these names. But, you know, generally, the principle of protecting the identity of agents or former agents is premised on a, a system where the intelligence is used for policy purposes. So you spy for a government so that a government can take policy decisions uh, you know, against its adversary. What we had here was firstly a regime which was criminal. I mean, it, apartheid was declared a crime. Uh, its apparatus committed crimes which were crimes under apartheid law. When you were an agent for the regime, you were well aware of the fact that this information will be used to commit crimes. Now, we are sitting 25, 30 years later, looking at who killed Ahmad Timo, who killed Robert Waterwich in Cape Town, who killed this and that, and that. And these are things that we cannot resolve. We can't say on the one hand we want to resolve these issues. On the other, we, we do not want a process of exposing people. I, this is in addition to the fact that, that, that I mean, the political damage that it's causing by, by not you know, exposing. Now, we have people who, obviously, many people were compelled to become informants. Uh, at the TRC, we had murderers coming and saying, look, I murdered your son and daughter. And our people are very forgiving, and they forgave them. If you, I'm sure, come and you say that I was compelled you come to a commission and say, I was compelled to become an agent, and we know many of these cases. There would be a similar level of, of, of appreciation to say that clearly this person was forced. You know? and, and I think that, that there's much more danger in not exposing these people than, than trying to keep it quiet. So three questions, all quite similar, about how the African National Congress is dealing with this, this poison in the blood and how it should deal with it. Well, the last... I, I and I'm sure Farrell and Jonathan will have something to say as well, but okay. do you want to? Um, I mean, back to, you know, what we want the truth to come out. Um, you know, what, what is relevant and what is reliable truth is, is, is a big question. Of course, we want to know who killed uh, Timol. We want to know who killed the Kradak for and we want action to be taken, and that, that sort of goes without saying. But um, if there was somebody that, you know, was, when you were on the SRC once upon a time, and there was somebody, um, you know, revealing all of you, the entirety of your sex life, uh, and, and whatever else. Um, that didn't happen, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, 
I don't know whether I'm on any list. As uh, to the best of my knowledge, I'm not on any kind of list. Do we know what what lists are there? Can we rely on these lists that are there? I see what some of your people say that you interviewed, and it's garbage. And are we to believe them? So I think the investigation of serious apartheid crimes and the listing of everybody that they say were apartheid a a intelligence agents, two different things. ANC is not doing enough. Uh, and that is, that is a fact, because, and, and, and we have to attend to that, and we have to rise to that, because to let people uh, whose name you mentioned, people like that continue making these inflammatory statements and attacking journalists in public, and we don't act, it's wrong. So I think that's one of the internal battles in the ANC. If we're going to turn it around, if we're going to have this renewal that we're talking about, this renewable, renewal has to be real, and we have to take action against people doing this sort of thing. Very quick reaction from somebody in the ANC when somebody was called a charlatan for something that Julius Malema said. Very quick reaction to it. Uh, uh, so, but, but you know, some of the many other very serious accusations, insults hurled at people, no action taken. Jonathan. Yes, I, I think a lot of the information has already been destroyed. I think, and, and I think that's our history and a record of our history that we, we're losing. So I'm in favour of the sort of the history being written. Um, I, I did speak. If, all the people that I spoke to, I asked, you know, who were the other spies, and not one of them would say. But I did speak to somebody who was involved in counterintelligence from the old apartheid into the the new intelligence agency and he said that at some point he was called into Mandela's office and he was told to hand over the names of the spies and he said he wouldn't do it. So he wasn't going to tell me. If he wasn't going to tell Mandela, he wasn't going to tell me. But it just showed <laughs> that, that, that people will protect um, all these agents. So I, 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 I do feel that you know, the more dirt there is that is hidden the more dangerous it becomes. Um, so I uh, very much support uh, declassification. Um, many years ago I visited Germany um, and the place where they hold the Stasi files and the procedures set up by archivists, by um, society deciding what will be open, what won't be, is still one of the um, most important moments for me in understanding how you fix a broken society. Um, so I do support it, but I think it has to be very carefully mediated um, and done. Um, but that's also, and I also think that Judge Roland Sutherland's recent judgment on the surveillance state, pushing it back, um, is for me the high watermark of what you want. Because to be honest, I think spies should have much more limited say um, in our country. Um, and people being spied upon needs to have the kind of attention that countries in Europe are, play, are paying to the platforms, etc. And that judgment really is, for me, the, the mark of where we should go. Why don't you summarize um, the judgment? Yeah, yeah sure. So um, the judge found that RICA is unconstitutional. And RICA isn't just the law user when it's a pain in the ass when you go buy a cell phone. It's a much bigger, more pernicious piece of legislation. And what Judge Roland Sutherland has found is that it has to go back and almost be recast in its entirety because so many parts of it are unconstitutional. So I think um, I, I prefer us moving toward that culture of maximum transparency, mm -hmm. limit surveillance um, as much as possible. Okay. Huh? Thank you very much, Derek, Jonathan, and Ferriel. It's been a fascinating conversation. I've got a burning thing. Yes. A burning thing. Burn. Chapter one. There's another person that, you know, so much, um, so, so much untruth is spoken about, Dieter Gerhardt. Um, so, I mean, he was a big-time spy. And he spied for a long time. And he was very professional. But something in your chapter, I think, is, is, and he's a good friend, and he's a very decent person. I think people should know that. Um, I was in prison with Dieter Gerhardt. Trish was in prison with Ruth Gerhardt. We remain very good friends. In your chapter, you refer to a discussion that he had with um, Bram Fischer before he took this action. And, um, and I think, you know, it starts... Before he took the action of spying for the Soviets. Before he went and approached the Soviet embassy in in uh, the UK, in England. By the way, Bram Fischer himself 
went straight to the Soviet embassy and, and he went to the Soviet Union when he still described himself as an Afrikaner nationalist. But leaning towards socialism, leaning towards communism, he then went to the Soviet Union and the rest is history. So um, it's very interesting that these two Afrikaners, in a way, well, Dieter wasn't quite Afrikaner, had a discussion apparently before Dieter made that decision. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people just still say he did it for the money. It's not true. Dieter Gerhard also said, gave Jonathan the best line, I think, in his book. <laughs> When Jonathan asked Dieter Gerhard, um, uh, you asked him, it was, was, it, was it tough being in jail or was it punishment being in jail? Yes, it, 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 yeah. Um, he, apparently, he said um, being in jail was one thing. But being in prison with Carl Niehaus was my real punishment. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, please join us for a drink on this, this exquisite balcony on this Thank exquisite you. high felt evening. And um, it, exclusive books are, is selling the books that I wrote about in my review, including Jonathan's wonderful book, Betrayal. Uh, at the back, if you... Um, want to buy it or any of the other books, Jonathan will sign his, of course. Maybe you'll sign um, Dennis Davis's as well. <laughs> Johan van Lochrenberg's. <laughs> But they are here. Please join us for a little thank while. You, and thank you for coming. <laughs>